0: Shalom. Thank you for listening to this podcast of the J. Berg Wilk Learning Series for 2017-2018. I am Shmuley Yanklowitz, President and Dean of Valley Midrash. Here at VBM, we strive to bring you only the highest quality of Jewish learning. Bringing pluralistic and innovative Jewish programming to the Jewish community that craves substance and insight is our passion, but we cannot do it alone. To support our endeavors, please consider donating a tax-deductible contribution to our organization. By doing so, you will be supporting meaningful Jewish educational content, funding the next generation of leaders, as well as furthering Jewish wisdom to people all over the country and all over the world. Please visit www.valleybetemidrash.org. Thank you so much and enjoy the program. So I think
1: you know the topic for this afternoon is Purim as the holiday of friendship. Um, which I hope when you saw that was at least a little bit um, both intriguing and puzzling. Mm -hmm. Uh, I think it's a little bit counterintuitive um, and not the way we generally think about Purim, which of course is a holiday that we associate with a lot of raucousness and even verging on debauchery and costumes and disguises and revelry, and um, there are a variety of ways in which the theme of friendship runs very deeply through the holiday, and those are some of the, um, some of the things that I want to look at together this afternoon. I first uh, learned about the idea of Purim as the holiday of friendship from indirectly from Rabbi David Hartman, uh, who's a wonderful, wonderful teacher and scholar uh, in Jerusalem for many years. And I learned this from one of his students who was a teacher of mine, um, Rabbi Jim Ponett. Uh So you know that, the sort of, the way that chain works. And I first, uh, I, I'll take you back actually since Israel's on my mind, uh, Jerusalem's on my mind. I'll take you back to the very first time I ever heard the idea, which was uh, in the summer of 1993, and I was teaching on the Bronfman Youth Fellowship in Israel, it was my first summer teaching with that program, and Rabbi Jim Ponnet was teaching a, uh, a study session uh, in a, has anybody ever been to the Anaticho house in Jerusalem, Beit Yeah. So uh, we were sitting in Betichol and uh, doing a study session, and he was, he was contrasting sort of the worldview of the people who gathered in Anaticho's home. So, um, so Rabbi Ponet was sort of teaching about. Uh, I'm just talking about where I first got introduced to the idea of Purim as the holiday of friendship. Uh, so this was the summer of '93. I was at a study session. Um, and um, we were in Anna Ticho's house in Jerusalem. which is a, Anna Ticho was a wonderful artist uh, who lived in Jerusalem in the 30s. And some of the luminaries of the time would gather in her home, people like Martin Buber and Gershom Shalom. And so in this particular study session, Rabbi Ponet was contrasting the world view of the people who gathered in this artist's home um, with the world view of people who gathered just down the street, on the same little street in the Yeshiva of uh, Harav Cook. And um, for people, you know, just to really put it in a nutshell, Rav Cook um, was a, was deeply immersed in a kind of messianic worldview, gave expression to it, a deeply messianic worldview in which, Um, all of the events of human history, and particularly the events of Jewish history in the 20th century, were part of a trajectory towards Messianic times. And the people who gathered down the street in Anna house were anything but Messianic uh, in their outlook, and um, lived much more in a world, as as Rabbi Pannett was describing it, much more in a world of uncertainty. And in teaching about this, Rabbi Planet pointed us to what I have come to feel is the most important line in the whole Book of Esther, the heart, I think, of Megillat Esther, which is where Mordechai, um, you know, the the this impending catastrophe is starting to take shape. This attempted genocide of of the Jews by Haman. And, um, and Mordechai sends a message to Esther to say, you've got to do something to save the Jewish people, right? You're married to the king. You're in a position to do something. You have to go to the king and, um, and try to save them. And what, and the line, the verse um, that Rabbi Ponet called my attention to for the first time um, and has continued to reverberate in in such significant ways for me over the years is Mordechai. The message Mordechai sends to Esther is, "Mi Yodea im Laed Higat which means, "Who knows if it wasn't for just this moment that you became queen?" Right? Who knows if it what, if this was not exactly the reason that you became queen and were, came to this position of power where you could actually do something to help save the Jewish people. So what's really, inter- one of the things that's really interesting about that line uh, to me is that it begins with those words, me ya who knows? And it doesn't, it actually is not what Mordechai does not say is, this is the reason you became queen. This is the point of the whole story. This is exactly, this is what you were meant to do. He says, he says who knows? Maybe, Ulai, maybe this is why you are finding yourself in this place at this time. So how does this connect to the idea of Purim as a holiday of friendship? For Hartman, um, and we're going to look at a couple other sources as well. But for David Hartman, um, there's a connection between that miodea, that world, uh, living in the world of who knows, uh, living more, more, even more precisely in the world in which God's name does not appear. Right? Because we know in the whole book of Esther, it's the one book in the Bible where God's name does not appear. And so Hartman's basic take on Purim as a holiday of friendship is what is our response, what, what is asked of us in a world where God's name is hidden at best, where God's presence is hidden at best, maybe even not a presence but an absence, um, where we're living with the radical uncertainty of who knows, What does all of that ask of us? What does all of that demand of us? It demands radical human responsibility. It demands that we take care of each other. It demands friendship. And what's his evidence for this? Think about the central obligations of the Purim holiday. Aside from reading the Megillah, there are three other mitzvot. There are three other commandments associated with Purim. Do you remember what they are? Or... So, Mishloch Manot is one of them, right? Which is giving giving uh, treats to our friends. Tzedakah, Matanat Levianim, right? So, those are two separate mitzvot. One is, right, giving treats to our friends and then giving gifts to the poor. And hearing the Megillah, right, is one of them. And then um, the Su'da, the Su'dat Purim, having having a festive meal with our friends, right? So aside from hearing the Megillah, all three of the central mitzvot really seem to focus on this idea of taking care of each other, coming together, whether with friends and people we know and love or whether with strangers who are in need of assistance. Okay, so that's kind of broadly what we're gonna, the, the theme that we're gonna delve into um, and um, you know I'll just say that I think that um, part of why this idea has become so powerful to me in thinking about Purim's relevance for all of us and for our own time is um, I mean I'll be interested to hear how you feel about it but I think that in many ways we are living in a time where a lot of us feel um, that God's presence is a little bit harder to discern. Um, That we're we're living in a time that is a little bit closer to Purim, where we're sort of searching for God between the lines of history, as opposed to a world where, um, you know, as opposed to the world of Pesach, right, where, uh, of Passover, where God's signs and wonders are, I'll just say in one sentence, see then I'll reveal that I've, you know, could have said this more concisely. I'll just say in one sentence where we're at, which is that we're talking about the idea, um, which I really originally learned from David Hartman, the idea of Purim as a holiday of friendship in response to um, a world in which God's presence is, hidden or, or, or absent, but certainly hidden as it is in the world of the Megillah. And so the connection between the hiddenness of God's name and God's presence in the Megillah and the central obligations of Purim, which are so much about human interdependence and responsibility for each other. Mishloch manot, giving gifts, treats to friends, matanad levionin, giving gifts to the poor, and and the of Purim where we come together with friends. So that's a quick recap. So I want to look at a couple of, uh, first at at a, uh, well, one we're going to look at together and one I'm just going to read to you, a couple of contemporary texts by um, Israeli writers um, who are, uh, I think, teaching a, a, a kind of Purim Torah for our own times. Um, that's, that's very much related to these ideas. And then we're gonna um, go back into a slightly older text um, from one of the Hasidic masters, and, but all revolving around this theme of the, the relationship between the hiddenness of God and the, the call to friendship and to human responsibility and interdependence. Um, so the first text I want to look at together is from a wonderful Israeli poet by the name of Dalia Ravikovich. Um, Ravikovich was part of the generation of, um, uh, of Israeli writers and poets who came of age around the time of the establishment of the state of Israel. Uh, She was so she was born in the early 30s. She died in 2005 Uh, She was Israeli born and born on kibbutz and then left kibbutz as a young teenager um, sort of fleeing the intense collectivism of kibbutz life Um, uh, But this is a poem um, which interestingly, there's a poem that she wrote in the early 80s and interestingly the title of the poem is in English actually even though the Hebrew is original so and sympathy is all we need my friend is the title of the poem and then the originals in Hebrew and and on the other side of the page you have my uh, my own English translation. By the way I, th- I learned a few years ago after <laughs> Having lived with the poem for a while, that the title comes from an old song. I don't know if anybody here knows it. I I, I don't remember now who sang it, but the chorus goes, "And sympathy is all we need, my friends." So it's kind of an old, a little bit of an old uh, "Love is all you know, love is all you need" kind of song. So, um, so she's obviously picking up on that song title and using it as the title of the poem. So we're gonna read through the poem together in a minute and maybe just so that we have the sound of the Hebrew in our ears, I'll, I'll read quickly through the Hebrew and then we'll look together at the English. Um, but I like to um, look at the poem um, and you'll, you're gonna see quickly how this all connects back to, to, to these themes that I've laid out in terms of Purim, but um, I like, I think it's useful to look at this poem through the prism of a very old Talmudic argument, um, you know, one of, one of the famous Talmudic arguments between Rabbi Akiva and Ben Azai about, it's one of those classic arguments about what is Klal Gadol BaTorah, what is the most important principle in all of Torah. And we have lots of those arguments, this particular one, um, Rabbi Akiva says, is um, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. You shall love your friend, really. Uh, you shall love your friend as yourself. And Ben Azai says uh, something quite different, which I will paraphrase as "Shadam Nivra Elohim. Every human being is created in the image of God. So I want to pause for a second before we look at the poem, which is going to come down very hard on Rabbi Akiva's side. I just want to pause and ask you to think for a second about that argument, right? You've got two rabbis arguing. One saying the most important principle in all of Torah is, you shall love your friend or your neighbor as yourself, and one saying, no, the most important principle in all of Torah is that every human being is created in the image of God what's what 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 can you say about what can we pull out about the difference between each of those as um, the great great principle the most foundational the most fundamental principle in all of torah um, what 's the difference between them and or if you what 's the what's the strength and weakness of each of them, if you want, or you could just say, which do you like better and why?
2: Yeah. Uh, I have to say that uh, the uh, the biggest difference is what direction uh, you're pointing. One is pointing inwards to say, you should love and discover who you are, Mm. and the other is to love and discover the
1: Hmm. Interesting. Yes, although I'm going to push, I'm going to nudge back in, on one thing, which is that Salem Elohim. If every human being is created in the image of God, then of course, you are too, right? So it's it's got that mutuality or reciprocity built in. And then you're you know you're wonderfully pointing out that love your neighbor as yourself starts from yourself and from from love of self. Right, yeah, beautiful. Do you wanna, okay, yeah. Um, Other thoughts about the difference between the two of them?
3: I think that from one perspective is looking at the relationship between God and man, and the other is looking at the relationship between man and man, Mm -hmm. so we're looking at what's God's perspective of us versus Mm -hmm. our perspective of ourselves and each other. Mm -hmm.
1: Okay, great. Um, and I might I might just sharpen that a little bit to say, um, definitely, I think your description of Rebbe Akiva's position is right on, which is, it's talking about our relationships with each other completely through the lens of empathy and shared humanity, right? This is, <laughs> love your neighbor as you say, you are both human beings <laughs> And you know what it you know what it means to feel vulnerable, you know what it means to feel in need of love, you know whatever that is, and extend that sort of you know in, engage in an act of imagination, which is what empathy really is, in order to extend that to the way that you care for the other. Salem Elohim, the idea of all human beings created in the image of God, you're right, it says something really important and fundamental about the relationship between God and human beings. Um, And it is also definitely brought to bear on relationships between human beings, right? What What does it mean if, what does it mean in terms of my responsibility to you if you are, if we are both created in the image of God? Right? Both of them are concerned about both of these, I mean, it's important, I should have said this at the beginning, that it's amazing that in this argument about what's the greatest principle in all of Torah, both are at heart concerned with the question of who are we to each other and what are our responsibilities to each other, right? But, but Akiva draws his lesson from a verse that doesn't actually say anything about God just is grounded in that, in that field of human empathy. And ben Azai says a lot about God, but grounds human responsibility and human empathy in our shared createdness um, by God. Yeah?
4: A thought
5: just came to my mind about being created in the image of God,
4: but yeah. no two people have the same image. About God. Mm. Some people think of
1: God as a warlike being, others as a father or a mother, others as a disinter- disinterested thing. Beautiful. Face. Yeah, yeah, beautiful. And in fact, it's not even. Nobody no, even believes in a God. Yes, right. And even no individual person has only one image of God, right? We We know that part of. Part of God's divinity is God's infinity, right? So even within our tradition, um, all of those images that you just said and hundreds more are associated with God, right? God is warrior, God is parent, God is king, God is shepherd, God is rock, God is water, all of those things. So what exactly does it mean to say that human beings are created in the image of God? Yeah. you know, clearly, and, and this is really spelled out in, um, most famously in the Mishnah in Sanhedrin, one of the things that it means that he, to say that human beings uh, are created in the image of God is, is sort of three things. One is that every human being is infinitely precious. Every human life is infinitely precious. Two is that every human life is radically unique, right? That's at least how the Mishnah in Sanhedrin understands it, that it it makes the analogy that uh, a king can press coins, you know, images of coins and they're all identical and human beings are created in the image of God and each is radically unique. And then the other is that we're all radically equal, right? To say that we're all created in the image of God so again, these are part of our responsibilities to each other that um, that I, if I'm created in the image of God, I have to act in God's image by, by behaving in certain ways towards you. I have to care for you as God cares for human beings. I have to be compassionate as God is compassionate, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but the fact that you're created in the image of God also means that I owe you a certain kind of dignity, a certain kind of respect. That's you know impl- that's part of the implication of us of human beings created in the image of God. So you know, the one other thing I'll add, and then we'll look at the poem in light of in light of this argument, um, and in light of the whole this whole theme of God's hiddenness and human friendship, um, But the other thing one could say, the, the limitation, one could argue, of Rebbe Kiva's position, you shall love your neighbor as yourself, is going back to, what's your name again? Nathan. Nathan, going back to where, where Nathan started us off, uh, what if you're not feeling so great about yourself? Right? What if you're not feeling so lovable? So how, you know, Or what if your neighbor is um, really not very lovable at all right what do you you know so so that is the critique that some offer of of Rabbi Akiva's position in that debate that Salam Elohim the idea of human beings created in the image of God is so much more universal also sometimes love your neighbor as yourself is understood in the tradition to apply only to fellow Jews Right, So it's also less universal in that sense, at least according to some interpretations. And other people would say that the limitation of, um, of Ben Azai's position of founding all of Torah in the idea that human beings are created in the image of God is, well, what about those for whom uh, belief in God, faith in God um, is really kind of a brick wall? You know what if, what if that is just a really, really tough starting place for you because you either reject or have deep questions about God's existence? And so they each come at this issue of human responsibility but from very different perspectives. And, and I think you know, part of what's powerful about the Gemara holding them both together, even though they're holding them in argument, is that, that it's holding both of them. And, and we, we know that the message of human responsibility and human dignity is central. And whether we get there through our faith in God or whether we get there through our sense of shared humanity, um, the, we still get there, God willing. <laughs> you know, that's. Um, OK, so let's see. Uh, let's just see how the Ravikovich kind of lands for us in, in the context of all of it. Any comments or questions on what I've said thus far? Okay. Um, so let me read through the poem um, just so you hear the sound of it again in the Hebrew and then we'll look at the English. Um, I will note one other thing before we jump in, which is you'll, you may recognize, and I included it at the, at the bottom of the Hebrew page, uh, the first two lines of the poem are almost, not quite, but almost a direct quote from the prophet Micah, and she makes two interesting little changes to that. But they're they're almost a direct quote of this verse that's at the bottom of the Hebrew page. Okay. And sympathy is all we need, my friend. He lecha Adam matov. ומה אלוהים מבקש ממחה נניח למופלה בהחלוא. די לא מר, הגיד לך אדם מה טוב. אתה חייב להתפנות. ומה פירוש חיב חיב הנה פה למנך אדם עודן ונער. יש לו גם קשיים של פנסה, גם של זהות. בלילה הוא נחנק מחרדה, לא מתיוקה נשימתית. כמה הם מתענים בצורח לידידות קצת מחויבת. הנערים האלה בפנים חמורות, וגם רזים כל כך. אילו אני אימם, הייתי בלי ספק אישה כודרת. מה יש לומר? הכל צמאים לאהבה, וזה עניין משפיל, וזה גם רגע של חושה. אך יש לי העזה לומר, כולם צמאים לאהבה, ומי שלא ימזוג כוס מים לצמא, סופו שיעלה רק את הרוק אשר בפיו עד סוף ימיו. Now we'll read it through in the English and then we'll dig in a little bit. Um, He has told you, O man, what is good and what God asks of you. Let us leave the wondrous one in his palace. It is enough to say, he has told you, O man, what is good. You must make room. And what is the meaning of must? must. Look here to your right is a man still a youth. He has difficulties with both livelihood and identity. At night he chokes from fear, not from respiratory constriction. How they suffer from the need for friendship that is just a little committed. These young men with their serious faces and they're so thin, too. If I were their mother, I would undoubtedly be a gloomy woman. What is there to say? Everything is thirsty for love. This is a humbling matter, and also a moment of weakness. But I have the audacity to say, everyone is thirsty for love, and whoever will not pour a cup of water for the thirsty will end up swallowing only the saliva in his own mouth until the end of his days what is love yeah. you're right you're right does it give you any, any kind of feeling about it what it, what I mean, what, 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 what you define and what you're looking for in love and what is love and what is connection. Yeah,
5: yeah, yeah. It's a very
1: sad story. It's a sad poem. It's a sad poem. Yeah, yeah, it is. Why, am, so, <laughs> well, it's not fair for me to ask you why I'm bringing it here in relation to Purim. Um yeah, yeah, others, right? yeah. Not to be
4: alone, to right? Be a part of a
1: community, or yeah, yeah. And I think that part of, um, part of what's so interesting to me about the poem um, is she starts by bringing in these first couple lines from the prophet Micah, right? He's told you, O oh man, what is good and what God asks of you. In the original, by the way, it's what God requires of you. Here she changes it to um, and that, so look at what she does in the first, in the first few lines. He's told you, O oh man, what is good and what God asks of you. Let's leave the wondrous one in his palace. In other words, I'm, you know what, I'm not even going to argue with you about whether God exists or not. What I am going to say is, God is not relevant to what I'm going to talk about here, right? And in fact, just a little thing about the Hebrew: "Naniach lamuflebechalo." You are you? Yeah. So, yeah, (laughs) I heard it. So, you're now you're going to keep me honest, you know? Tell me if I'm. But okay. (laughs) (laughs) So I translated it here, which I think is fair. Let us leave the wondrous one. Leave it alone.
5: You'll find
1: its all the way. Yeah. Um, You could also translate it, let's assume the wondrous one is in his palace, right? Either way, that's not what we're arguing. I'll give it to you. Sure, the wondrous one is very comfortable in his palace, and is of absolutely no use here to um, these young men who are thin and lonely and just starved almost, for friendship. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, um, who, who, by the way, this isn't you know, critical I think, to, but I'm just curious who comes to your mind when, when we get to the image in the middle of this poem, these young men with their serious faces and their so thin soldiers. Soldiers, wow, okay. Any other? In, I'm just curious what. as children.
5: Mm. Mm-hmm. And teenagers, too, who are looking for their identity.
1: Mm hmm. hmm. Yeah. Identity crisis. They're trying to find right.
2: what, they, are, what, what right.
1: they want in life, what, what goals they're going yeah. to, what they want. Right and she even you know says that right in the right when she says he, he po, see here to your right is a man still a youth you know see by the way see here to your right the poet is the narrator is saying to you in other words there's a person standing right next to you who you have not even seen you may help you. yeah yeah um, and and look a little more close pay attention there's a person standing next Look a little more closely and you'll see, you know, it looks like a man. It's really still a child, still a youth. Look a little more closely and you'll see struggling with identity. Look a little more closely. Look a little more closely to where we never can see, which is what's happening in the middle of the night when he's alone and choking
0: from fear. Hi, this is Shmuley Yanklowitz. I hope you've been enjoying and learning something new from this podcast. If you have a moment, please consider making a contribution at www.ValleyBaitMidrash.org. Thank you so much, and now back to the learning.
1: So I don't know if other people had other associations, but you just, between the two of you, you just threw out three, and I think it's very intentional for the poet, for Ravikovich, that she is not saying, um, she's not being specific about exactly who these.
5: Example,
1: looks yeah, yeah, and and I think she also doesn't want us to say, well, sure they're soldiers, they're struggling. Well, sure there. Some people read this and they they hear, um, yeshiva bachers. Some people read this and they hear Holocaust survivor. My, in fact, <laughs> I was looking at it with my husband last night, and he said, well. I've, isn't it, of course it's Holocaust survivors. (laughs) I said, well, you know. He said, really, other people see other things? So, but I think, you know, part of her point, and then she goes there with the rest of the poem, part of her point is, you know, this is universal. Everyone has these moments of fear and loneliness and struggle and, and the need for friendship, which I love the way she says, you know, that's, Zat mechuyevet friendship. It's a little bit committed. Give some of yourself. Yeah, 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 yeah,
4: yeah. It's reward and punishment.
1: Yeah. Because if you don't do it, you're guilty. No. No, well. I think. Yeah. You end up
4: swallowing only slide in your mouth. Yeah.
1: That's right. That's right. It's reward and punishment in the form of very sort of organic consequence. Right. It's not some <coughs> other random punishment. It's, no. right. it's this. If you don't do it, it's, it carries its own punishment, which is your own loneliness. Yeah, Andrew. Maybe, uh,
3: I'm struck that your husband was talking about Holocaust survivors. I'm reading this. I know she was writing this in the 30s.
1: This is in the 80s, actually, early oh, 80s. Grade. Yeah. Well, so maybe. thinking
3: you're... of my son,
1: mm-hmm.
2: who
3: last week as a high school student was struggling with sleep in the middle of the night mm-hmm. following the shooting, thinking, not about his knee that he had just had surgery on where he couldn't sleep, but it was all the pressures in the world and the uncertainty in the world and the hatred in the world and the violence and the politics and and yeah. and just thinking it applies to so much.
1: Right. Mm-hmm. Right. Right. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. And, you know, one other thing about the poem, and then I want to bring in another text, but, um, I mean, there's much more we could say about it, but, and, um, I think one of the things that's very powerful about it, this line, this is a humbling matter and also a moment of weakness. Um, I think the recognition that this is harder than we think it is. Right Sometimes I, sometimes I read this, and I think, "You know, it's such a minimalist. You asked at the beginning, what is love, right? And sometimes I read the poem and I think, it's a minimalist. It's like, just just pour a goddamn cup of water for the thirsty, right? That's all, that's all it is. It's not asking everything. Just pour a cup, you know. And then you think about. A, you think about how much thirst there is, right, the endlessness of that thirst, you know, um, in the world, and you also think about what she's pointing here with just how humbling it is to recognize our own need and our own vulnerability and how sometimes we we flee from, we run from other people's vulnerability because it makes us think of our own, and that's uncomfortable, that's, that's humbling, and feels like a matter of weakness. And so, you know, in that sense, it's asking everything, right? Be open to pouring that cup of water for the thirsty. It's harder than we think. But yeah? I
4: think it's interesting that uh, I take that in translation. Everything is thirsty,
1: not everyone. Well, it's both. First, she says everything and then she says everyone yeah yeah
4: right on both sides yeah no yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. yeah yeah um it's an interesting well it's
4: an addition to the whole concept she's just it's one word that changes the whole understanding mm-hmm.
1: right right and it it just fe- it feels like what she's sort of saying what she's trying to drive home is just Every time, every time you get a small piece of this, broaden it and remember that it's even more you know, there's even more. Right.
5: This She's thing. saying everybody's thirsty for love. That's a very hard word to say. Which word what's what is love? And my wife said right. what is love? Love is a right. world and you can right. have two thousand explanation. Right. But the most important one is you, what do you what do you take yeah. to be loved or give love? Yes. Yeah. That's the point. yeah, yeah.
1: it 's so funny because we could sit here, I mean, it'd be you know it's so hard to define,
5: love is very,
1: difficult. very difficult to define, and yet um, is there anybody around the table who would say i don 't know what you mean i 've never felt thirsty for love i don't right like it's it's this universal yeah right okay. Um, so let me bring in, um, this I'm, I don't have to, to give you, but I think you'll be able, it's not a poem, it's, a, it's just a couple of paragraphs um, that I think you'll hear, I hope you'll hear it in kind of interesting dialogue, both with the Ravikovich and with, the, with Hartman's ideas about Purim. This is also, I'm sorry, this is also very sad. Um, <laughs> We're going to get to we're, we're going to get to a little bit a little bit of a nechemta a little bit of a comforting note but um, but I, it's sad but also um, for me calls upon um, calls upon us in a way that I actually find sort of bracing and inspiring uh, compelling even even in this very sad context. So um, so when, we, when, we, when I introduced the Radikovich, I introduced it as an expression, one expression, one sort of contemporary expression of what I see as Hartman's Purim Torah. So what I want to share with you is, is another also contemporary, also by an Israeli writer, not a poet, but a novelist, Aaron Appelfeld, uh, who just passed away recently. Um, And this is from a piece that he wrote in the New York Times. Some people may have seen it. It was um, on the 50th anniversary of the liberation of Auschwitz. Um, And um, so hes you'll see Ravikovich is talking about these themes in a very intimate and personal way. Appelfeld, it's also very intimate and personal, but also on a much more, on a kind of collective Level and he's, he's talking as, as a survivor. Um, so this is what he says. And just keep in mind this issue of the hiddenness or absence of God and what that, what that calls upon in us. God did not reveal himself in Auschwitz or in other camps. The survivors came out of hell wounded and humiliated. They were betrayed by the neighbors among them who they and their forefathers had lived, among whom they and their forefathers had lived. They were betrayed by Western culture, by the Germans, by the language and literature they admired so much. They were betrayed by the great beliefs, liberalism and progress. They were betrayed by their own bodies what to hold on to to live a meaningful life. It was clear to many that the denial of one's Judaism, which characterized the emancipated Jew, was no longer possible. After the Holocaust, it was immoral. No wonder many of the survivors went on to Israel. No doubt they wanted to get to a place where they could leave their victimhood behind and assert responsibility over their fate a place where they could connect with the culture of their forefathers, to the language of the Bible, and to the land that gave birth to the Bible. This is not a story with a happy ending, he writes, and now this is the part that I particularly want to call your attention to. A doctor who survived from a religious background who sailed to Israel with us in June 1946 told us, quote, we didn't see God when we expected him. So we have no choice but to do what he was supposed to do. We will protect the weak. We will love. We will comfort. From now on, the responsibility is all ours. Your, your...
5: Yeah, yeah.
1: Well, even more here than yes, and I think he's saying something even more than just we have a state, but um, again, I think this is in modern terms such, such an expression of what Hartman is talking about in the Purim story, right? What, what happens when God doesn't show up? Appelfeldt is saying, right? God didn't show up in the ways we expected and wanted and, you know, and so what does he do? We have no choice but to take care of each other. We'll do it, right? And it's an amazing, by the way, if you, I should have brought this for you, if you hold this text from Appelfeld side by side with a text from the Gemara which talks about how do we know that we are supposed to protect the sick, to take care of the sick, visit the sick, because God visits the sick. How are we? How do we know we're supposed to clothe the naked? Because God clothes the naked. How do we know that we're supposed to, you know, bury the dead? Because God buries the dead. It, the, the, that Gemara takes all of these actions, like the ones that Appelfeld is talking about, and says we know that we're obligated to do these things because we're acting, because we're acting in the image of God. And then Appelfeld flips that on its head in this great Purim Torah kind of way and says, How do we know we have to do these things? Because God didn't show up to do them, because God didn't visit the sick, God did not clothe the naked. Uh, Right. (laughs) There you go. Yeah.
2: There seems to be like this really uh, strange um, event that. Mm-hmm. and mom and dad are there to provide us shelter to provide us comfort mm-hmm. and to provide us protection and you do these things largely for us and um, and then as we become adults we kind of have this other phase of darn it, I'm sick mm-hmm. and I have to take care, of the food that yeah. can take care of and also there's this moment <laughs> where you're missing mom and dad so much and then you have this other space of time Where you're sorrowful, saying, Where is mom and dad? Mm -hmm. Why are they not here? Mm -hmm. When I need them. Yeah. When I need them. And and, you know, I I think part of the struggle um, of a parent is when to step back. Mm -hmm. When to step back and to be able to say, I see you're struggling, but I have to pretend that I'm unavailable. Could I come in there? Yeah. In a heartbeat. I can jump on a plane and I can be there. You can be anywhere in 24 hours here. Mm-hmm. According to the over here. Who <laughs> works in uh, I could be anywhere in 24 hours. I could be there right now. But I have to pretend that I'm entirely unavailable so that way you, in your own mind, make the mental flip and turn the switch to say, how do I become like my mother and my father? And it becomes, and there's this moment where, where you are bitter. You're upset. You're saying, "Why should I be? Why should I have to do this? Why on this green earth that's here that why should I should have to go ahead and of my own faculty do this when this has been provided to me?" Mm-hmm. And, and, and 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 then you kind of get to this whole uh, additional reluctance of, "They didn't teach me. They didn't teach me well enough." It's but the thing is, is that it's one of those things that you have to learn, and the way that you learn to do it is by necessity. So if we're looking at our relationship with Hashem, with God, this has gotten to a point mm-hmm. where, as a nation, you're looking and saying, "Well, when is Hashem going to come and save us? When is He going to come and bail us out?" Mm-hmm. And perhaps maybe it's we can say that it mm-hmm. is just like a relationship between a parent and child. Mm-hmm. That this is a this is a teaching tool really that we can extend for ourselves and say that I okay, this is now also
1: anybody want to respond you need to go <laughs> she's walking I out have, at I that
3: conference do <laughs> and I take to the doctor but I, I was thinking of the whole notion of like the actualization mm-hmm. of the notion of and God has taught mm-hmm. us what we need to do mm-hmm. and we have to do it. Carry that. Because it. it,
1: um, it was I'm, it's so funny. That's way. what I was yeah. thinking. You're being an, an apologist for that. God here. Um, <laughs> on, on hand, uh, with Abitre, um, yeah.
4: I also want to say that it was not the, Israel was not the first time the community tried to help each other. Right. Right. So I mean, it, you know, so it's not as black and white as. maybe course. Or, right. You know, just with the new contract. Right. Whole all of us trying to figure out how could it happen. Yes. How could it be? Yes. And all of us going, you know, figuring it out in our own way, in yeah. our own mind, and depending right. on what's to decide. Right. right. You know, there
1: was community. Right. Right. It wasn't enough, obviously. Right. Right. Um, no, thank you for that. And part of the reason that I that I I mean, obviously. We we live we live through things personally that that change the whole game for us you know that that sh- I mean I love the way that you're describing it except that it's I think um, maybe a little too sorry too well a little anger. Um, I heard anger you heard anger that's interesting I, I was hearing not enough. <laughs> I was hearing, I was hearing, not quite enough of like the pain that happens when the paradigm gets shattered. Like it's not just a parent, you know, saying, "Okay, you need to do this on your own," but when, um, when, when you really feel that your whole way of understanding the world has fallen apart, you know what. Um, um, but I, I really I appreciate what you're saying. Part of the reason that I brought in the old argument between Rabbi Akiva and Ben Azai, right? Love your neighbor, as you said. Two, two different opinions, two different ideas. And again, I think that they are, it's partly saying this dialectic has been with us for a very long time. Until
5: today, too. Yeah,
1: until today, too. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. Um, do we have time for, are, are we okay on time? for? I'm gonna, so I promised you a slightly uh, gentler <laughs> um, take on this whole question, and I wanna just bring that in here as well. Um, this is a Hasidic source, um, Um, from the Hasidim of Alexander, and this is um, this. There's this is from the Yismach Israel, and it's a teaching on. It's actually a teaching for Rosh Chodesh Adar, for the beginning of the month of Adar, um, and really interestingly, I don't know. I never heard Hartman talk about this, but. For the Ismar Israel, he also makes this very big connection between AdAR as a whole and friendship love of friends. it turns out, so that was really fascinating to me to discover recently. Um, and what I want to say about this text by by way of contrast to the other two that we're the other two you know, and I appreciate you. Pushing back on, Nathan, on this, Nathan, because I think it's really important. I mean the, the Ravikovic and the Applefeld are really coming out of a particular, much more secular worldview um, in which you know they're they're radically expressing the idea, what do we do when God is no longer part of the picture, right? We take care of each no one other.
5: Will ever
1: yeah. Right, right, (laughs) Right. to To, to apply apply that to, yeah, yeah, right. Right,
5: wow, never. never Even the stranger is not good to us. We have to take care of them as much as we can. Yeah,
1: yeah. Um, So those are both coming at this issue from the, from this very stark perspective of when God doesn't show up, we show up for each other, right? The Ismachi Israel, I think, is coming at it from, obviously coming at it from a different perspective. This is a Hasidic text. Um, But I think what he what he's getting at is when God is hidden, not absent, but when God is hidden in a time like Purim, um, we can find our way Back to each other and back to God through friendship, through loving each other. Ready. Okay. Well, ex- yeah. Okay. So, baruch <laughs> Um Okay. So, so let's just look at this. Let's just. You want to take turns reading, actually, so we hear other people's voices besides my own. Um, do you want to start us off, or no? Okay. So, yeah. So the Gemara... And says, and we're, yeah. In the
4: beginning of door, we increase
1: joy. Right, we know that, you know, Bim okay. How do we enter the gates of
4: joy? How do we become constantly aware of the privilege of being God's portion? We do this by loving our friends and by uniting with the children of Israel.
1: Okay. So first of all, I just have to say, I love that he asks the question. You know, we have this Gemara that says, from... From the minute Adar begins, we increase joy. <laughs> and the Yismah Israel says, how, how do we enter those gates? I mean, it's not a simple question, right? And the answer, Ahavatraim, loving friends, and Ahduta'am, uniting, yep, community. Great. And then he's gonna bring his first proof text for this. So why don't you read one more paragraph? In
4: Magila, Haman's claim against is that there is one people scattered and separated. Everything this people is, all of their good qualities are only when they are together as one people. But now they are scattered and dispersed. Their hearts are alienated from each other. This is the time and the season that they are vulnerable.
1: Okay. so interesting. This, he's picking up on the verse in the Megillah where Haman is first speaking against the Jews and, and he says there's the, you know, I think it's the language mm-hmm. he writes. So, you know, scattered and, and dispersed, separated. And of course, the simple meaning of the text in, in Megillah Tester is they're living in diaspora. They're, dispersed, they're physically scattered but in classical Hasidic fashion, he's reading more into it than that, and saying they're dispersed in the sense that they are al- they're not connected. Yeah, they're emotionally scattered, separated from each other. So n- today. Yeah, yeah, um, and, and that is what he says is the real, the real vulnerability in the porn. That's what really makes them vulnerable. The fact that they are not one people. One. The, yeah, one. yeah, yeah. Okay, so then, um, do you want to read the next? Okay, yeah. When Esther heard this, she told Mordecai of, of his vulnerability in order that he addresses him. She told him, go gather all the Jews. Bring them together as a community. Bring their hearts together as one. Okay, let me just interject for a second, then you'll continue, that that verse, right, so then when Esther is going to go in to the king, she says, you know, this is the way the Yisrach Yisrael is under." she says, knoset kola yudim, right, gather them all together. He's saying that's, that's, just, that's not just incidental. She, she is addressing precisely the vulnerability of this scattered, alienated people and saying... They have to be gathered together as one. Yeah, okay, keep going. Fast for me. All their fasting and prayer should be for me, not for themselves. This is because our rabbis taught that one who has a need of her own, yet prays for a friend. Her need will merit response first. Such is the love of true friends. Okay, that's an interesting one, right? She says, She doesn't say alechem, you know, she says fast for me. I find this a really interesting. She's a leader. She's she, a leader, leader. absolutely. Yeah, I mean, she, she goes from,
4: from. No, she's putting herself into
5: danger. Yeah.
1: Right. 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 Yeah. And she's she's putting herself into danger, and she's also. She's teaching the people something here, which I I think is a really interesting sort of yeah, really interesting, beautiful yeah. Um, it's a, got a beautiful spiritual message for us in general, which is what she's teaching them is in this moment that you are feeling afraid for yourselves. Actually, the most powerful thing you can do is pray for someone else, pray on behalf of me, pray on behalf of the the whole, you know, what I'm doing for the whole community. Don't just be preoccupied with your own fear and your own need. I'm really thinking, by the way, on a personal level of sort of how do I incorporate this into my own spiritual practice. Like sometime when I'm feeling really in need, you know, what would it mean in that moment to say, okay, I'm gonna pray for someone else. Cause that's what this is inviting As us to do to yeah yeah
3: yeah well, I, yeah I find sometimes that when I'm going through my own personal struggles it's that's often when others turn to me and it's easier for me to focus on what they're going uh-huh. through yeah and through helping them I lift have my own internal reflection and end up working on myself and healing myself mm. through that process. Mm. So when you take, when we take the time to turn our focus away from our own ego mm. and look outward more, or the best they always say the beautiful. best way to learn something is to teach it to someone else. Yeah, so, right. Like, personal development, I'm really good at
1: that. <laughs> right. Now that's because beautiful I say, though. I right. <laughs> So but um, that's beautiful, like the the very, the, that palpable way in which we can actually be lifted out of our own need by focusing on someone, el- or our own struggle by focusing on someone else's need, we right? Know,
5: we know, I think the Jewish people know how to express themselves compared to other religions. Mm. When we say it, it comes out straight. Mm. We, don't <laughs> <go> <laughs> what we, know. we don't go for the left, <laughs> that line here to the left. I don't know what it is. Our our politicians.
2: What? Don't get up. No, we no, right. okay, See? Uh, I mean, it I mean uh, like it or leave it, but usually it's direct, process,
5: yeah, direct. and help each other. I mean, if you start going in a circle, you know, the a dog looking for a spot to pee. Uh-huh. You're not going
1: to find nothing.
5: Right, right. we got to go and head and ahead and line head and woke up the people. That's what she's... Telling, and that's what she's saying. Right, Wake up. right, right. You're going to cry all you want, but it's not going to help you. Right.
3: Yeah. yeah. This will
1: help, we um, Yes, and I think, yeah, we have time for at least this next paragraph, and then we, yeah. This, next hand up.
3: this will help us understand why the Mishnah says on the first of Adar, they may heard the matter
1: of Shkalim." Yeah, so, sorry, so I have to just explain. Yeah. He's now making a little bit of a shift. Remember, this is his teaching for Rosh Chodesh Adar as we're entering, so we, this was from two weeks ago. Um, and on Rosh Chodesh Adar we also read Parashat Shkalim where in Exodus where it talks about the obligation of every member of the community to bring machatzit a shekel a half shekel, oh, yeah, donation for the upkeep of the Ohel Moed, of the, of the tent of meeting, okay? Great, so, so now he's turning to that He's going to connect it to a darb. Bu- <laughs> no, No, but this is great. Look at why he. So he's, now he's asking, so why a half a shekel? What, what's going a on? Why half Everyone a shekel? Could do it. it wasn't out of the reach of the pool. Okay, yeah. great. That's not incompatible, what he, but it's a little bit different. So, Megan, keep reading. Why, why does he say half a shekel? It's a little schmaltzier. Oh. Then you're we,
3: we have explained elsewhere that the reason for specifying half a shekel as the
1: sorry, that's a typo. Required donation. Okay. <laughs> My fault.
3: The required donation is related to unity among people. This evokes the idea that a person is incomplete until she joins with others. Together, they. Constitute a complete vessel, but one person without another is only a half. The point of the half shuffle is to make you consider this and to do everything you can to develop this quality to love your friends like yourself.
1: Right, so it's, it's not unrelated. You're, you know, there is something very egalitarian and inclusive about this because everybody can afford to do it, presumably. But he's taking that a little bit of a step further and saying there's something existentially about bringing a half a shekel, which is meant to remind us that we've, got, we've only got part of the picture. We've got half. But we need our friends, we need the rest of the community to complete us. We are, in, we are incomplete. We are only partial. And that is, he's saying is, is a way of, of teaching us to cultivate this mida, this quality of loving our friends. Because, of course, in order to do that, we have to somehow feel this goes back to the Ravi we need to feel our own need. We need to be willing to feel that we're incomplete without other people. And then I'll just. Um, He says this is good advice for prayer as well. The Ari, Isaac Luria wrote that before prayer you should take upon yourself the commandment to love your friends like yourself and include yourself within the community of Israel. I don't know if any of you, in our community we do this practice, which is um, the, the Arizal here. What he's referring to is he would say before prayer you recite or chant the words Right? So before you pray to God, you say, okay, behold, I am taking upon myself the commandment to love my neighbor as myself. Nice, yes, yes. To the community. Beautiful connection, yeah, yeah. Um, and again, the most important aspect of the Shkalim is that they make you think about their meaning and foundations and come to unity and love of your friends. Through this, you will merit the voluntary acceptance of Torah, which happens on Purim, right? And that we know this idea that there's a second receiving of the Torah on Purim that's being alluded to in the Megillah with, when it says the people were you know that they upheld and accepted the Torah themselves, and and this time it's a kind of accepting. You know, it's not in front of Sinai with the trembling mountain and sort of this it's, grand it's, it's revelation. Reality, you're right there. That's right. Exactly. It's like from the from the bottom up. You know, it, receiving Torah sort to of from it yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, right. Um, okay, so I wanted to. We're, I think, just about out of time. Um, I wanted to just. This is my Mishloch Manot for you. Um, <laughs> I wanted to just. Came
5: when does Mishloch
1: Manot start? Mm. Well, it's very old. Very old. It's very old, yeah. I mean, it's alluded to in the Megillah, right? that they gave gifts to their friends. Um, So I'll read, that. this is, um, I'll read it and you can take this if you want it. It's a a poem that I wrote on Mishloch Manot. um, Partly in response to a Musar text that I was studying. Which asks it asks a different question. This again, it goes back to what we were talking about with the Ravikovich and like, how do you deal with you know everyone and everything in the world is thirsty for love. How do you deal with that, right? Um, so uh, this Musa text was asking the question, why don't we say a bracha over Mishloch Manot? Why is there no blessing over? It's a mitzvah. Yeah. Why is there no blessing? he says. So it's an interesting point. So what he says is no blessing because the purpose of the Mishloch Manot is to increase shalom, peace, ahava, love and reut, friendship in the world and that is a mitzvat midit. It's a perpetual mitzvah that never ends it's never ending so you can't say amen because you're never done right so that just exacerbates our problem like how do you how do you live with this sense of it's never done this obligation of caring for each other so that's what this poem is it's interesting because when especially
4: at least when children deliver we in turn give them
1: Usually coins. Oh. oh, really, that's interesting. I don't know that custom. Yeah. When they drop it off, you give a, yes. really? You give them a tip. You know, it might be for tobacco, but
4: it's coins. Right, so. right. Oh, that's yeah. neat. Yeah. That's that's a specter child
1: who did a good job. Or
5: right. to adult. Right. They should give it to each other.
1: Certainly give to each other, but I've never heard of yeah. the giving yeah. a little so coin I mean, to you know, it. Yeah. It it's so right, right, things. right. Right. It, right, so here's, um, here's my reflection on this mitzvah as, uh, I'm not saying a blessing over Mishloch Manot because it is a perpetual mitzvah. On my neighbor's doorstep I left a brown paper bag. In it I put two hamantashen, a clementine, some chocolate pretzels, and a small box of raisins to increase peace, love, and friendship in the world, obviously. And then I walked away feeling lighter, unburdened, the weight of endless obligation lifted for a moment. You are permitted to give and then walk away. There are limits. You may close your door, your hand, your heart. You can do all these things, and you will. You must, actually but you may not bless the closed door. You may not turn your back and say, Amen.
0: Hi, this is Shmuley Yanklowitz. I hope you enjoyed listening to this fascinating lecture. At VBM, we strive to bring you only the best in Jewish educational programming,